Welcome to the Empower Performance Podcast, presented by Dr. Trevor Hirsch and Dr. Dan Sullivan, where we help you feel better, move better, and score better. All right, today we're really excited to have Dr. Kate James on our podcast. She's the owner and physical therapist at Driven Physiotherapy, or Driven PT. So Kate, thanks for joining us today. Sure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Well, get for all those people that don't know anything about you, go ahead and give us some background on what you do, where you're located, kind of your, your journey to become a PT, some too. Okay. So I am a driven physiotherapy and I'm based in Salisbury, Maryland. I work primarily with runners uh, and endurance athletes, but branch out a little bit into active adults. So I started the business way back in 2012 and did it on the side for several years while I was still working uh, as a PT uh, in different clinics. And then my last gig was teaching down at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore in their doctor of physical therapy program for five years until I, uh, yeah, Hawk Pride. Hawk Pride. Catch it. Until we uh, dove all in in July of this year. Awesome. So have you done it for a long time and then just recently got all into it. That's great. So uh, what, uh, tell us uh, where you grew up, um, what colleges you went to, that's okay. that sort of thing. So I grew up here on the Eastern Shore, uh, split some time between Willards, which no one knows where that is. It's like halfway between Salisbury and Ocean City. And then uh, my dad lived down in Lewis, down near you guys. So I spent a lot of time down in Lewis, Rehoboth uh, as a kid as well. And then I made my way up to the University of Delaware for undergrad. I uh, got an exercise science degree up there and then uh, came back down to UMES and did my PT degree there. I graduated back in 2009 uh, and then headed straight out to, to California. I worked in um, LA for close to two years before we made our way back to the, to the shore. Awesome. So you've been coast to coast. Coast then. to coast. Yeah. There you go. Well, we're excited to have you on today, Kate, because uh, one of the reasons why we even started Empower UPT uh, is even exposed to the type of physical therapy we do is because uh, of what uh, presentation you gave in PT school at University of Maryland Eastern Shore. So I'm going to give you a shout out. Thank you for that. Absolutely. It's kind of like the, the dream to see every year. I just hope that, uh, you know, one or two students would hear about kind of a different model and see how good it, it could be uh, and take it around with it. So the fact that you've done that and then Dan's on board now is it's pretty cool for me to see too, um, having you guys both as, as students a, a few years ago. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see, I'm sure from your perspective of seeing where your students have gone. Well, since we're talking about um, kind of our model, everything like that, for those people that don't know what we do with Added Network PT, maybe we can talk a little bit of that and you shed some light on how it works for people that are not used to this type of model uh, and sure. some pros and cons of it for the clinician and sure. uh, patient. Absolutely. So like I said, I graduated in 2009. So I've had a lot of experience in different types of clinics and uh, different practice settings, you know, so I know the grind of working in an outpatient, kind of a traditional outpatient clinic where you're seeing, you know, 18, 20 people a day, you're just kind of 
cycling them through. You've got maybe some techs helping you out and it's fun. You know, and this, I think even in that model, everyone has a good time, but you get to the end of the day and you've got your pile of paperwork and you're trying to, you know, give the, each client the time that they need. And it's just really difficult in that setting. So I came kind of to a point where I had to figure out, okay, I really like what I do, but I don't like how I have to do it. And is there another way? And I started listening to a lot of information about cash PT, even way back in 2009, I remember hadn't been out of PT school too long. I was looking into it and it just it wasn't much of a like thing the, then, right? It wasn't. No, there were a couple of resources. Um, at that time, like Jared Carter had some things out there and uh, just looking to see that, okay, it could be different. You could actually have the time to spend with your, your clients and figure out what's going on with them and be able to take them through the whole process rather than just getting just a really quick glimpse of what's going on with them. And, you know, maybe the 10 or 15 minutes you had from a hands-on perspective. So I think that you get better outcomes that way. And I think that it is, especially for active people that really have a desire to get back to a particular thing, whether that's golf, whether that is running or whether that's, you know, weightlifting or whether it's like playing with your kids, or your grandkids out, outside, you know, if you have a, a really well-formed goal, then you need someone with a kind of a well-formed plan to get you there. And, and the cash model really allows for that. So I slowly kind of dove into it and realized, yeah, this is different. And, and I enjoyed it a lot more. And I feel like I'm, my clients get better from it. You know, the, the, the result is better at the end of the day. It's a win-win on both sides of the equation, right? For the client and then for the clinician as well. Absolutely. So when you started back in uh, 2012, you said, right? Yes. Uh, there really wasn't many people out there doing this type of thing. Was it hard to kind of get it uh, rolling at first? Was there much resources where you get help as well? Sure. I mean, the resources that are out there now, you know, certainly in the, you know, the mastermind that we're in and just mm -hmm. uh, the, the sheer number of cash clinics out there is, is totally different. Um, so I definitely felt I was, felt like I was kind of on an island and it was hard to figure out um, how to, how to build it and how to figure out how to have conversations with, with potential clients about the differences and, um, you know, get that, that buy-in for them to see, because it was such a different thing. There was no necessarily point of reference for, for most people. And even beyond just PT at that point, I feel like now it's not uncommon for your dentist or for your eye doctor or things like that to be out of network. But I don't feel like it was the case then. So it was a little bit of a different conversation. So yeah, I think you see more people. A learning curve. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I think we see more people do it today just because of uh, how there's been so much more administrative burden and how the insurance has really switched from just being the payment system to the dictator of quality of care that people get and the type of treatment they get. And this like third sure. party that's saying yay or nay, you get to get this versus someone yeah, else. And I think the I think the consumers of you know I think people have seen that as well. I know from even from my perspective, you know I'm. I would much rather go out of network to see a provider that I feel has the time and has the, you know, the bandwidth to be present 
in you know the setting that we're in and feel like I'm getting value from my time and, and my money. Uh, so I think that there's been a little bit of a shift you know, across the board with that as well as the healthcare system has gotten more burdened. Um, you know, so if we can, as performance PTs, provide that space for people that, that do see the value in it, uh, I think it's a really cool thing. Yeah, I think from the just coming on um, full-time to a cash base um, practice recently, the biggest, one of the biggest things I noticed was just the quality of care. What you were talking about earlier, I just feel like in that old traditional model, seeing tons of patients, I don't think I was kind of maximizing like how good of a PT I could be, like the quality of care I was giving each patient. I just didn't feel like I could give the quality I wanted to compared to now seeing people one-on-one for 60 minutes. I finally feel like I can give people like the care they deserve and just really good quality care. Um, I think that's one of the biggest things I noticed, like just making the switch recently. Absolutely. There's definitely a ceiling to how effective you're going to be when you're expected to be effective with 18 to 20 people. Yeah. I think there's multiple options. You could be a really good PT and burn yourself out. And then you have like 20 notes to do at the end of the day, but everyone got great care, but you feel like completely exhausted or your care kind of suffers, even though you want to be better and you know, you have to get these 20 notes done and you're able to get out of work on time, but then people don't get the same quality care or better as quickly, unfortunately. And for those of the people who are listening that don't know what cash PT is, it's basically a way of saying like add a network physical therapy where you essentially pay us directly. That way there's no third party that's dictating what you can get, how long a treatment you get, anything like that. The cool thing, uh, and you'll touch on this in a second, Kate, is that we can essentially do whatever your body needs. If we're, we're treating you for your back pain, we get you out of back pain. We thought you we were going to come in and show you some cool exercise to help you get back to golfing, but you know what? You just want to golf and now you have golfers all about we can just treat that too, right? Versus like, oh, sorry, you have to go get a referral. We have to start a separate case. Like, you know, we can't see you for that. It's not your back. Um, We treat the person as a whole, right? And I'm sure you see that a lot in your practice too, Kate. Yeah, I, you know, I think the, the really cool thing is sometimes we're able to get people out of the pain that they originally saw us for. And it's pretty cool to see how people's goals sort of shift from that point sometimes. So even if it isn't, you know, another issue pops up somewhere else, it's something like, oh, wow, I didn't know that I could now run, you know, 10 miles without pain. Okay, maybe I want to sign up for a half marathon and and do that. Or, you know, you can just kind of expand your goals and we have the flexibility to to do that uh, and really look at the person as a whole. You know, I know in my practice, and, and you guys probably do this as well. You know, I'm digging in not just to the issue that brought them here, but we're talking about sleep. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about stress, uh, good and bad, you know, and how to really zoom out and take a look at the entire person and see what's, what's going on. And I don't think that that is something you can do in the traditional model. And I think for me, that's probably one of the things that I honestly enjoy them the most is to try to try to push people beyond even what they thought they could do because our model allows for them, you know, to kind of move forward quickly and, and beyond what maybe they even thought they could do. Yeah. I think you hit it on the head with that. And one of the reasons I came to PT, I don't know about you, Dan and you, Kate, but is uh, about building relationships with people. 
and everything you just said there, I mean, you're really connecting on the human level on the, so you can get to know the person better, get to the root cause, whatever's going on, but then you actually get to treat them as a person and a full human, right? Instead of just like a number uh, or this 815D or whatever it may be that's coming in. And then touching on what you said, said there too, you get to see the full picture. I'm thinking of one golfer we work with in particular, his goal was just to get out of back pain when he plays golf. And then that quickly turned into now he's deadlifting again, he's back squatting. Now he's shooting like the lowest score he can imagine. So, and he's going on golf trips where he plays like six days in a row, like 36 holes back to back days. So that small goal now turns into this like massive goal that he didn't even think was imaginable. And I'm sure you see that all the time with your runners. Absolutely. And it has such a, such an impact on quality of life beyond that particular issue. You know, it just builds confidence and, and connection and allows people to get back and do fun stuff with their friends, you know, a lot of times, uh, or their family, a lot of times that, you know, they're able to do those things. And, and that's pretty neat. It's giving them something beyond just kind of a traditional outcome. So you were talking about running a little bit. That's your passion. Uh, let us know how you got into running. Oh, wow. Okay. So thinking kind of what you said about the conversations that we had, you know, at UMES getting you into this, I have a somewhat of a similar story. You know, I, I ran growing up for sports, but it was never something I enjoyed. It's something that I kind of had to do. And uh, I actually had another student who was um, in the program and he was a triathlon coach and he had a client here in town who was having some issues that obviously since he was still a student, he couldn't treat. And so I began to work with her and she's just incredible. She does try, she does, you know, ultras and, and different things like that. It's like, oh, this is kind of neat. So I signed up for half uh, after working with her for a little bit. And then it just sort of snowballed um, into something that I really started to enjoy. There's a really great running community here on the Eastern shore. Uh, so getting to know people there and then just being able to, to push myself in kind of a different, different way uh, was, has really been fun. And I got two, two noisy kids at home too. So part of it is just like a nice uh, pause button from that to just get out and, and relax a little bit. So that was kind of what got me back into to running and, and got me really, you know, focused on working with endurance athletes uh, at Driven. That's awesome. Now, uh, so you're a big runner yourself. So uh, what's the furthest distance you've ran? Uh, so I did a 50K last Oof. February. Um, and I'll be doing so how many miles another is that? 50K. 30 miles? Weeks. 31. Yeah. 31 Oof. miles. How 31 long does that miles. take you? <laughs> uh, last year, it took me six hours and 10 minutes in okay. the freezing sleet and knee deep water um, of the course. It was, we'd had some snow the week prior and then uh, temperatures were just to the point where it was like sleeting for pretty much the entire entire time. So uh, it was definitely the, the hardest thing. I was think that, I've, was that fun doing it in those <laughs> weather conditions? Cause that sounds uh, rough. It was rough. But looking back, it was fun that day. If you'd asked me, I would say absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> Other than like get, you know, crossing the finish line and you get this mug 
Um, that was the fun part that day. But then looking back on it, uh, it definitely was character building. I'll I'll say that. Um, I ended up actually that next week uh, putting in my, my notice to, to leave the university and and jump into this full time. So it was kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, wow, you know, I can, can do hard things. So I think that, especially when you get up to some of these longer distance runs, it becomes beyond just like your time, um, the accomplishment of, of pushing through and finishing something like that, I think, you know, has benefits beyond just the, just the running and just the physical aspect of it. What's the uh, preparation look like for, uh, for a race like that? Uh, running a lot. <laughs> How long? Yeah, being consistent, I think yeah. is the, the thing, uh, like with anything, you know, being consistent and doing a little bit at a time, obviously in the months leading up, you have to, to ramp up things a little bit, but you know, I think last year, my longest run before the 50K was up to 20 miles. Um, kind of approach it a little bit differently. This year, I actually have a running coach because I value being coached. Um, so he's he's working me through a plan and I trust him and I'm going into it feeling, feeling good and running a decent amount, but also doing some strength training and prioritizing sleep and all the other things too. Uh, to make sure I go in to the line as prepared as I, as I can. That's good. And always practice what we teach is, is a good thing to do for sure. Um, so run, running 30 miles, man, it's impressive just to get a marathon and that's 26.2. So you even got a marathon and some. Yeah. I can't remember. Crossing the finish line must be a wild feeling. It was pretty, like, it was pretty fun. Yeah. It was, yeah. uh, yeah, it's one of those moments. I, I definitely think I'll, I'll remember. And it's cool because I had a lot of clients that were out there as well. Uh, so getting to hang out, even afterwards and see them finish or, you know, someone finished before me too. So it's, it's just a cool group of people to, to be around. And, you know, any, anytime you're around people that are pushing themselves to do difficult things, like you're going to learn a lot. So and the it's, running, it's fun. running community, uh, community is a pretty unique community, how diehard everyone is. Like you said, to run through all that mud for a mug, right? Or sometimes a shirt or socks. A mug, a buckle, oh. metal. It's, it's, it's funny the things that people do for like something seemingly so meaningless, but the you know, right. it, it, yeah. meaning is what you make it, I think. The longest distance I got was a half and they gave us like a crab as a uh, metal with like a Maryland flag on it. It was the coolest thing ever, right? So it was there totally worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I ran a 5k I to get you out there for something further. Oh, <laughs> there on. you go yeah i was gonna shame dan on his lack of running distance well, but i wasn't gonna bring it up yeah he did. my wife is the runner of the uh the family she'll she'll get out <laughs> there and i see how much preparation it takes to run a like a, ha- a half marathon let alone you know a 50k i mean i can't imagine <laughs> it takes a lot of prep work lots of late night treadmill miles after the kids yeah. go to bed that's how i uh lots of late nights lots of early mornings now, uh, so ultra marathons have really gained a lot of popularity now, right? What's the, the longest distance they go up to now that you're aware of? Oh man, they're all over the board. So there's some different styles, you know, the, probably the most common and what kind of gets people in is a 50 K. Um, so that, you know, not too much over a marathon, but then there are races, hundred milers, hundred Ks, um, races, you know, 250 milers I've seen, and then they have different types of events. Uh, they're called like backyard ultras. 
So it's essentially kind of like a last man standing type event and they start and they don't end until someone stops running. So I believe there was one this summer where, gosh, I'm going to get the, the mileage wrong, but it was hundreds of miles that were run before, you know, until the last man, man standing. So sure. it's just kind of incredible. The, the sheer amount of like will that was like a real life come up with a real life Forrest Gump running scenario. The guy just, someone just kept running until he said, just I'm kept tired going. of running. Just kept going. And then they're like, and then one day I stopped. Yeah. There you go. That's pretty crazy. We, we have a friend, his sister ran a hundred miler and I think it took her, uh, you know, times better than I, but like 22, 23 hours. Something that's a pretty, like that. pretty impressive, you know, that's a, that's a solid, a solid time and different races have different cutoffs and, and things like that. You know, you're dealing with where the race is, if there's a lot of elevation, things like that. So that's where the, the terrain really comes into it, which is a little bit tricky here since we have no elevation, you know, so people that are preparing for races that are outside the shore, uh, it's a little bit, a little bit different. They, they may be making some weekend trips or doing lots of step ups and lots of things like that to try to get them prepared for um, climbing and, and descending and things like that. Now a distance like, uh, like even the 30 miler you did or the 50 K I should say, or a hundred miler, walk someone through what that kind of looks like out there on the course since you're out there for a longer time running like what do you have to do nutrition what do you have to do hydration wise to make sure you can actually get to the finish line without you know getting injured or you know becoming dehydrated or anything like that sure yeah that definitely the nutritional aspect of it for ultras is one of the trickiest things to get dialed in and it really can can change on any given day because you're dealing partially with you know the weather conditions, uh, you know, whether or not you're, you're going to be losing a lot of those electrolytes or whether, you know, it's the temps aren't too bad, but you're eating pretty consistently. So you'll start eating just a few miles in and you're taking in some calories every hour, you know, if not ideally a little bit more often than that. And then depending on the, the race course, you know, some of them are loops. So you get back to, one point where then you might have your things and they usually have aid stations set up where they're providing some types of food and, and usually some sort of electrolyte drink or something like that. Or there are courses where it's not a loop and you have aid stations stacked you know, throughout. So it just kind of depends. Um, but the, a lot of times the, the aid stations are, are the best part it's, it's pretty interesting. The ultra running crowd is a, is a pretty interesting crowd. So, you know, you might think of a marathon where you get to an aid station and they've got some Gatorade and maybe some like those little goos, the gels or whatever. You get to an aid station at an ultra and uh, they're making quesadillas. They've got bacon, <laughs> pre-COVID, there would just be bowls of like Skittles. People just be diving, diving in with their hands and things like that. Uh, so it's definitely a little bit of a different crowd than you would, you would maybe think about. Um, but it's a, it's a good time, you know, and it's just at the end of the day, it ends up just being a kind of a party out, out there. Obviously when you're some of those longer distances, you know, especially you get to that point where you're, you're sort of in your own head about, Oh, wow, this is, 
this is long and it's not a party, you know, but then you kind of get through and get to that next aid station. They might have some music pumping and, you know, handing out all sorts of stuff and kind of get you back up. And uh, it's, there's a sense of camaraderie with it. That's pretty, pretty neat. It's awesome. You, know, you might turn Dan into a runner with you talking. So you're, <laughs> big balls you, of candy. Get, yeah, big balls of candy, and you get so motivated when you're so excited when you're talking about mm-hmm. it. That's good. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have a lot of elevation on the shore, but the wind, a lot of wind. So that might the wind, you know, yes, up a little bit. The, the eastern shore, the eastern shore hills. Yes. Yeah. Full resistance. No matter, no matter the day. I was out this afternoon, and it was just like, you know. Oh, it's wicked cold out there today. It's it's cold today, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so with your, um, you're definitely obviously very passionate about running. Um, any, uh, did you have to rehab yourself? Any injuries or anything that you had to kind of rehab through to get you like where you are now? So I've I've been pretty fortunate over the years to not have anything too crazy. Uh, I think if I deal with anything, I had some. Achilles issues all the way back in high school and for better or for worse I don't know if I necessarily had a the proper course of rehab at at that point I went to PT a couple times but nothing nothing sticks out as being you know real significant about it so if I, I try to program I try to make sure that I watch my training load and I'm doing some strength work to try to minimize the chances of that kind of popping back up. But yeah, that's my pun intended Achilles heel, you know. I see what you did there. That's good. That's good. That's That's not the first time I used that, I don't think. So you're 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 practicing what you preach then for not having any injuries and being able to run like that. So you're putting the work in, sounds like most of the time. (laughs) I think most of the time it's about just being making sensible decisions. I think runners, we kind of want to push it a little bit more than we we need to and when I first started running consistently I I definitely did that and you know I had some Achilles issues and then I quickly learned that okay if I'm going to do this long term I need to do it in a way that's going to make sense and in a way that's not going to to put me in that situation and uh, with running you know there's a there's a guy he's out of uh, University of Montana Rich Willie and he says that all running related injuries are training errors. So basically it's like, we do it to ourselves. Um, so I've tried to minimize that over, over the years and, and try to work with clients to help them do that as well um, to, to make sure that we can stay out there and, and do the thing that we really like to do. So piggyback on that, thinking that uh, most injuries in, on runners are, uh you know flaws or like you said um with that do you have any like general like advice you give to like let's say someone is like a beginner runner right now uh what they should make sure they uh should practice so they don't get injured so is this for dan dan so so definitely um and i think that I've had the chance to, to learn from a lot of different people. Uh, one of those guys is um, Chris Johnson. He's a PT out in Seattle. And I think even when you guys were students, I probably talked about him a, a bit. I followed his work for, for a long time now. And uh, one of the things that he talks about with getting into running or getting back to running, uh, 
uh, after an injury is this the structure of frequency first, duration second, and intensity last. So if you're looking to start running, the first thing you want to do is just try to get out there a little bit more frequently. And, you know, it might look like doing some run-walk intervals or some walking with no running, you know, when you're, when you're starting out to just kind of get those tissues ready to, ready to run. And then from there, you can start to increase the duration of your runs once you've been able to, to get out there a little bit more consistently. And then finally, you can add some intensity. So before that, you know, everything should be pretty easy or what we would call conversation pace where, you know, you and I could be going for a run and we're talking just like this um, to, to make sure that we're not going too far with our efforts. So that, that frequency duration intensity is kind of one of the one of the main things I try to drive home for, for people that are looking to, to get started running. That's awesome. And I think you can extrapolate that to almost any sport or activity too, right? So we're working with a golfer that's returning from injury to golfing. We talk about like gradually building your swing volume, like mm-hmm. uh, you're like your mileage per week. Uh, um, and then you can think about that with weight in the weight room, so many different injuries, just gradually building up and then exposing your tissues to more and more gradually it's those rapid peaks, right. Or that change in what your body's used to often coupled, like you said before, like stress, uh, lack of recovery that caused the injuries to occur. Exactly. Exactly. I think you really can. It's a, most things, right. You can take a concept and apply it to a lot of different, different things. Most definitely. Most definitely. Uh, I'm curious to know how many pairs of running shoes you burn through. Do you have like a mile do you have like a mile to like, you know, that's so many miles you need a new pair of shoes type like equation going on or, or do you go more for color, yeah. colorful or <laughs> it has to be this particular shoe for this yeah. race to have the particular look. So like most runners, I have a problem with, with shoes. <laughs> it's intensified by the fact that one of my first jobs was working at a shoe store. Uh, okay. So I was used to, you know, getting a sweet little discount on, on shoes. So just see if you're, oh yeah, I'll, you know, I'll grab those. So I, Dan, I don't wear them out. I, 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 <laughs> I probably buy enough shoes that I never put uh you know, there's some different numbers. We'll see anywhere from like 200 to 400 miles or something like that. Every once in a while, I'll find a pair that I'm really, oh yeah, these are, these are solid and I might wear them that, that long, but typically yeah, it's like, oh, I read about this one. It sounds cool. Or, oh, yeah, I really like the colors of those. So um, I burn through a lot of a lot of running shoes, but not necessarily because I wear them, wear them out. Do you have a particular uh, brand allegiance or anything that you're? I don't. I to? don't. I, uh, one of the things I like to do, too, is, you know, what type of running shoes should I wear is a really common question I get asked. And while I think it's probably one of the less important um, variables in your in your running I do there's part of me that likes to try different different brands or different you know styles of shoes just to kind of see how it feels so I can have conversations with with clients Um, but for me I I like to vary it a little bit so one of the things in a running shoe is a drop which is the difference between the heel to the toe and I like to run in a couple of different variations of that just to expose my tissues to some different loading uh, rather than always the same shoe. Um, I will say there's a a pretty widely touted study out there that talks about um, 
alternating running shoes or running in more than one shoe, there's actually a 39% decrease in injury risk if you run in more than one shoe, even if it's the same exact model. Um, so they're thinking maybe that has something to do with uh, the shoe itself having kind of a chance to, to rebound and get back to um, the different types of foam and stuff in the shoe, get back to normal um, before the next run. So I always tell clients that so they can justify their, their shoe buying habit. And it's, ah, it's, it's, it's good. It's gonna, it's gonna help me. So you cited that to your husband a few times to say why you needed to get another <laughs> I, pair I, of shoes. It yeah, definitely. Like. <laughs> exactly. And the UPS guy drops on his like, another <laughs> pair of shoes. That's awesome. You have now to... he started running. So he's uh, kind of in the same boat as me. So we're, uh, oh, there, we're you good. Go. there you go. Good. That's awesome. You have to send over that study. I haven't read that. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so why do you think that those results are like that? Just because you're getting your tissues to adapt to different things. So they're not as rigid, you're more resilient or why is that? Yeah, I think it's probably a combo of different, if they're different heights, like, you know, different drop or different stack height, you're changing the way it's loading a little bit. Or again, if it's the same shoe, probably just because of the property of the, the shoe itself and the different foams, if you're wearing the same shoe, you know, if you're running five days a week and you're wearing the same shoe every time, especially back-to-back -back day runs, that the shoe might not have a chance to I guess kind of bounce back to its original shape um, or the properties or be able to really utilize the properties of the different types of foam or support in the shoe. That's interesting. That makes sense. Now, so you got your husband involved in running. Have you got the kids yet? Yeah, we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I've got a uh, five and he just turned eight. Uh, we've got them out there. It's, it's been pretty fun. We, um, they did a, one of the race directors uh, from Algonquin Ultras puts on a cupcake run in the summer. Actually, it was his daughter's idea a couple of years ago. So we took the boys out to that this year. So they get cupcakes and they run around in the woods and it's just a good time. And the boys enjoyed that. And then we've been pretty lucky at their school. They started a trail running club uh, this year. So one of the other moms at the school is a runner and she started that. So a couple of couple more of us have helped her out with that. So we, we did that every Wednesday this fall, got the kids out there. So they've done uh, three races to date. And my, my eight-year-old can throw down a pretty solid, solid 5k time. You know, we'll, we'll think, oh yeah, I'll just run with you. And it's, uh, he's, he's, he's hustling out there. So that's been, that's been super fun, you know, for us to be able to do that kind of as a family and, and get out there and just kind of promote just this idea of staying active uh, is something I really, you know, think it obviously is valuable. So I want my kids to see that as well. So the fact that we all have started to enjoy it a bit has been, been pretty fun. It's awesome that you've been able to share that active lifestyle with them and they'll hopefully continue that for years to come too, as they get older. Yeah. yeah. So uh, somebody that uh, would come and see you like me, not, you know, not a huge run and run a little bit occasionally. Um, is yeah. there a certain like uh, assessment you do every time at somebody before they start getting into running? Like, what do you, what are you generally looking for? You don't have to dive in, you know, too deep, but just sure. generally, what do you, what do you look, uh, yeah, like what type of uh, screen are you looking at? Sure. So if someone comes in for something like that, it's kind of three parts. So we look at 
having a conversation about what their training history has been like and what their sport history has, has been like, um, you know, if they were active growing up, thinking about bone health and different things like that. So we, we dive in to see, look at their history. We look to see at their current training and then obviously their goals. And then beyond that, we go through some um, off treadmill assessments, looking at kind of running specific variables in terms of strength and mobility to see the different muscles that we're going to use a lot. So looking at the, the hips, the quads, you know, the um, posterior chain, and then looking also at the calf muscle complex, because it's a pretty big driver when we're running and it gets overlooked a little bit. And then we get on the treadmill and kind of take a look to see what's going on and see if there's anything, um, you know, quick we can pick up there, but typically managing your training and then also making sure that you've got that strength and mobility that you need. Those are kind of my big, big things that we, we hit first, especially with a newer runner. So we, um, one of the TPI, um, we're being T TPI certified is, uh, they believe there's an infinite number of golf swings out there. I'm sure you see a lot of different running styles. There's not necessarily a right and wrong way. It's like every, it's kind of individualized. Is that kind of similar for running as it is like we believe with golf? Absolutely. You know, I think people get really, uh, really tuned in to think, oh, we have to run a certain way or, you know, people walk in and be like, oh, I know I heel strike or I know I do this and, you know, trying to just pause for a second and be like, it's okay. Right. And yeah, realizing that just like there's an infinite number of ways to swing a golf club, there's an infinite number of ways that run just like with the golf swing, there's probably the most efficient way for you to run. And that's kind of the goal to get you there, but it's not necessarily to get you to look like, you know, a, a prototype prototype of, of a runner or something like that. So absolutely. Cause there are a lot of these, uh, um, thoughts in the runner world, right. That you, you shouldn't heel strike you, uh, or you shouldn't, you name it, you know, more of them than we do. Um, but they're not always the case. It sounds like it depends on the individual runner. Absolutely. Yeah. In terms of, you know, heel strike or, or forefoot strike and things like that, they've done a lot of studies and, and really at the end of the day, it depends. It doesn't really matter where your injuries are going to be different. So if you heel strike, most people tend to have either knee or kind of the front of the, the leg issues. People that land more on their toes tend to, if they have an injury, tends to be something more like a foot or ankle. Uh, and if you think about just what the forces on the, on the body, that kind of makes sense. So it's more looking necessarily when I'm looking at a runner, I'm looking at where they land versus how they land because we can decrease those forces by landing a little closer to our body. So um, that's one of the things that I, I look at on that treadmill assessment that I do. Uh, what was your favorite race you've ever been in or run? Uh, I think just because of the sheer chaos of it, I do think that the Algonquin 50K oh. last year was was one of my favorites just because you can't really make it up. It was pretty – the craziest thing I've, I've done. Um, but I, I did a run this, this summer as well where it was a six-hour run you just ran – as much as you wanted. And I uh, did that with a bunch of people. And that was really fun too, you know, because we would see each other out on the course or, you know, when we were back at the tent and um, fuel up and, and get ready to head back out there. And then, you know, even after it was over, just getting to, getting to hang out with your friends. Um, it's always kind of a fun, a fun day. You're telling me it wasn't the 035K that we 
down in Dallas or oh, in Charleston? The 5 k man, those sit-ups get me every time. That's a reminder. I need to start uh start yeah, practicing. Yeah, start for that. training for that. Oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Tell Dan what that is. I don't think he knows what the EO three five. So is. man, the EO three five k. I think what we should do is I think we need to like practice all three of us. We can just practice together. That's but a good it's idea. A, um, I'm gonna get this wrong. It's a 400 meter run. And then a half we mile do or so. three rounds of 15, uh, 15 squats. squats. Yep, you got it. 15 10, squats. 10 sit-ups, 10 sit-ups. five push-ups. Yeah, five push-ups. Yeah, so three, three rounds times of that each every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so you hit a 5K. And then if you do it the, the true way, you do some sprints at the end to finish up your point one. Um, I think but Dan's yeah, ready I, for I think, it. I, Trevor, I'm surprised that that wasn't like part of the interview. Like, you know, okay, Dan, we're going to answer <laughs> these questions and then we're going to go out and do this and, you know, see, see what you got. I think it should yeah, be. I mean, I think it or should at least be. part we of should, like the annual review or something. Yeah. We should set that as part of the process. We should do a physical training thing. All right. We'll, we're going to do your, uh, your three, five K we'll see what your ball speed is, how far you can drive the ball. And assess your TPI fitness handicap I like in addition it. to like your golf handicap. I think we're good. I there. like it. Now, yeah. now I'd be doing a little disservice if I didn't bring up golf with you, Kate, since I know you earlier in your career, your TPI certified, worked a lot of mm-hmm. golfers. You golf yourself. Uh, what's your yes. current uh, golf lifestyle? Like you getting out there and playing at all anytime these days? No, uh, I don't think I've, I've swung a golf club in years at this point uh it's been it's been quite a while i think uh once once kiddos came along it's a lot easier to get out for a run than to get out to to the course Uh, so you know putt putt is kind of the uh the the golf lifestyle i've been living these past past couple years but definitely miss it and definitely would like to get to get back to it on a on a bit more of a consistent basis so if my grips aren't shot at this point from you know, being so old, I'll probably grab, you know, go to grab a club next time. And it'll just disintegrate in my hand. <laughs> Have you got the kids uh, in the planning golf other than putt-putt? No, not yet. They'll, they'll mess around with some old clubs in the yard every here and there, but we haven't actually got them out to the range or the, or the course yet. So, at, you know, I've got two boys, so we try to limit their access to anything that can be used as a weapon, you know, because it, it pretty quickly turns into like, golf club you know over the head of their brother or whatever so you know kind of we're introducing those things slowly understandable you don't want uh, one running after the other with the driver in the backyard that could be dangerous exactly exactly all right let me hit you with uh, one more question uh do you have any personal goals for this year like a race you want to do or specific something to accomplish in personal professional yeah. whatever you want to share Sure. So I guess beyond the, the 50K here in a couple of weeks, believe it or not, because of, of COVID and just the way everything fell, I've not actually run a marathon before. So I've done an ultra marathon, but I have not officially run a road marathon. So one of my goals for this year is to go ahead and check that off the, the list. So I think I'm going to come down towards you guys in April uh, and run the coast of Delaware full um, starts starts there in Rehoboth. So that would be, that would be kind of my, my running goal. Uh, for, awesome. For this year. So that starts in Rehoboth and where does it go? 
So you go through Cape Penelope, and then you go up uh, through Lewis and then back down the Breakwater Trail back into Rehoboth. So should be, I did the half back in the fall and uh, it's a really pretty half course. So I'm excited to, to run the, the full and take advantage of all those trails you guys have down there. You guys have a nice, nice system down there for, for running. That'd be awesome. Yeah, everyone swears by those uh, for biking trails and everything. And I've ran the boardwalk before and 10 miler and things like that. It's nice. Nothing like running right next to the, the water. There's something about it, you know, just I know for me, it, even for the half, just to be able to kind of look out and see water, it was just like instantly calming a little bit. I guess it's growing up here. You know, you're kind of used to never being too far from the water. You know, there's something soothing about just being hearing the waves crash, right? Whether you're sitting on the beach or you're running the boardwalk next to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'll make my goal the uh, Dewey four miler. Oh yeah, was it starting uh, in at the starter? Yeah, <laughs> I think it does go brewery to brewery is what he's referencing. But there you go, there you go. <laughs> um, race well, is a race. <laughs> that's true. The miles still count. Gotta start somewhere. <laughs> you just can't have as many skittles. You're not burning four thousand calories like she is <laughs> in her thirty miler. Um, well, Kate, we really appreciate you coming out and. Uh, coming on on our podcast with us for the, um, those of that don't have your contact information that you can share how to get in touch with you, how to follow you on social to see all the great content you're putting out there for runners. Absolutely. So website is www.drivenpt.com. And then if you want to find me on Instagram, it's driven underscore PT. Awesome. Dan, you got anything else? Uh, just everybody give her a follow. All right. Thanks, Kate, for your time. It was great thanks, having you Kate. on. Thanks so much. As always, thanks for listening. Please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe so you can tune in next time.